This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up, everybody? Ricky Widmer here, along with at the Mark Weber. Dub them easy. See, I decided to do that now. I was watching Kind of Funny, actually, who mm. both me and you know. And Greg Miller goes at Tim Gettys, and I'm like, instead of saying the Mark Weber, yeah. why not just say at the Mark Weber since it's your Twitter handle? And then on Rick and Johnny, you can say at War Machine, whatever the last number is. <laughs> Johnny. Yeah, I don't say it. You're the only Twitter handle that I say. But welcome into another edition of the Onside Kick right here on Most Valid Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything in the NFL realm of things. For here at MVP, got a jam-packed show for you guys. Going to have Patrick on here to start talking about the Chicago Bears, and then we're going to continue our fantasy football rankings. You missed wide receivers last week, Mark, although you did give I your voted. rankings. Yep. And this week we're doing tight ends, so the top 30 tight ends we'll dive into. But before we get into everything, a little bit of housekeeping here at the beginning. Number one, if you want to support us, want to be on a podcast like Pat is today, Make sure to check out patreon.com backslash Podcast. Also, if you want yourself an MVP t-shirt, head to look over. Didn't remember if Mark wore his. That shirt, that store link is down below in the description. You can also get that at mostvalopodcast.com along with everything for MVP each and every day. And last but not least, if you are on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes, make sure to give the onside kick and all the podcasts MVP a nice five-star rating and type in a little bit of uh, why you like us or why you... Like checking out the podcast, but we're starting off today with the Chicago Bears. Patrick's a Bears fan. Mark's a Bears fan. The Outcasts, check out them. They're Bears fans talking about Bears each and every week. And I like the topic that Patrick brought up for us today. It's basically, are we overhyping the Chicago Bears? There's a lot of hype with Matt Nagy coming in, Mitch Trubisky in year two. You draft Roquan Smith. Everyone's excited about that. So, Patrick, I'm going to throw it off to you right away, right at the top. Are we overhyping the Chicago Bears? I think we are overhyping the Bears this offseason because they did address a lot of needs, and they did address a lot of the things that they were they said they were going to do. They said they were going to build around Mitch Trubisky, and they've done that. My issue is now that we've brought in all these guys to help Mitch Trubisky out, a lot of people are saying the Bears had the best offseason of the NFL they're going to be L.A. Rams 2.0 after the Rams won 11 games last year after what they did to build around Jared Goff. And I'm a little more pessimistic about the Bears' chances to do that right after this offseason because I still think there's a ton of question marks around the Bears and the guys that they brought in, even though a lot of them do make a lot of sense and they can definitely help the Bears, we have yet to see them in the offense by Matt Nagy. So I'm not really sure that they can make that turnaround that the Rams did. And the fact that the bears fans are like overhyping this team saying, Oh, we're going to be so good this year. We might win 10 games. We might win 11 games. We might win the division. That part makes me think like, okay, maybe we're overhyping this a little bit because we haven't seen these guys play yet for the bears under this new system. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because there's a lot of, there's always a lot of hype about the Chicago bears. I mean, last year, um, I mean, even last year still, but last year there might've been a little bit less, but there's always hype about it. I know, uh, on if you watch NFL Network's Good Morning Football, uh, it was the biggest Bears fans I know. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you got Kay Adams from Chicago, and you know she's saying that they're they're the dark horse team for her to make into the playoffs. 
Uh, and that's not an uncommon thing. It comes up every once in a while of being these teams that might make it. And the the fact is, you got to remember that this is a team that was five and eleven last year. Mm-hmm. They've got a brand new coach, uh, yep. brand new offensive coordinator. Fortunately, the defensive coordinator stuck. And there are a lot of good reasons to be hyped, and we're not going to ignore that. That this is actually, you know, this was a top ten defense last year. This is a team that has a lot of weapons. They went and they grabbed things. This is a team that got one of the hot young uh, um, offense coordinators to be the head coach. They got a lot of things going right. But, yeah, I mean, you definitely are right that I think it's just the pump the brakes type of moment. I mean, this was the – I'm pretty sure, if I'm not wrong, uh, that they were last – if not second to last in just passing offense mm-hmm. last year. And part yeah. of that's John Fox. But still, you know, this is we're not we're not gonna have Mitch Trubisky just suddenly go out there and look for sure like Jared Goff or look like an Aaron Rodgers, just absolutely controlling that offense and dominating defenses out there. It takes time. I mean, there was a good quote today um where I'm pretty sure it was Matt yeah, it was Matt Nagy that was saying that Mitch is building his own library now within the offense. No, he's building it. It's not built. Mm-hmm. It's not done. It's not ready uh, on today that we're – let's see. We're recording this on Tuesday, and this article I think came out – Last week. Last week that they're talking about this, and they were talking mm-hmm. about last week. There was a really bad cool. day of practice, and even the offensive coordinator coming out and saying, yeah, this was a bad day. Mm-hmm. That's what the team has, and that's what the team's going to deal with through the season. They're going to have bad days. They're going to mm-hmm. have good days. They're learning. They're building. Well, and I mean, I think the big thing for me is that if you guys do not hire Matt Nagy and don't get rid of John Fox, we're not having the same hype. Like, if John Fox is still the head coach coming into this year, it's a low-light season for me. But because of, all right, we're getting Matt Nagy coming in. Mitch can now grow in year two. You get uh, Vic back for the defense. You get the um, Roquan Smith, the kind of infusion into that defense. There's a reason to be excited. Like Bears fans, I don't expect Bears fans to just sit there and go, well, this will be another wasted season. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's any fan base besides maybe the Jets a little bit, not even them. Like everyone this year, I feel like has a little bit excitement in their own way for their team, but Here's the thing I'm thinking of. When Matt Nagy started in KC compared to Chicago, what are the, some of the differences? Yeah, the defense, I would say that the defense might be, like this team is overall younger than the team that him and Andy Reid started with. 2013 is when Nagy started in KC. This team is younger than that KC team. Also, instead of a Mitch Trubisky, who is a year two quarterback, He was getting, yeah, it was Alex Smith's or going to be Alex Smith's first year in KC, but Alex Smith was already a quarterback from 05 to 2012 at that point. So he was a guy that, although his career in San Fran wasn't number pick or number one pick level and he was getting replaced by Colin Kaepernick at that point, he still was getting a guy who, all right, this is a veteran who at least knows who is the coming league. off of one of his best years. Yeah, and I believe didn't he get benched in one of that best year? Like he got well, injured, he then, got hurt, and then replaced by Colin Kaepernick. And then yeah. Kaepernick basically stole the job from him. So there's that, and then for me, I think there's also the thing I look at is the schedule. Like Green Bay is going to be tough. You play them twice. 
Vikings are going to be tough. You play them twice. I mean, I know with the Vikings, you guys always really play us close in Chicago. And then in Minnesota, we usually win that. That's how I think it's been for the last at least two years. But then there's like Arizona could be tough this year, either with Sam Bradford or Josh Rosen week three. The Patriots, that's a loss for me. Lions is a toss-up, and you get one of them on Thanksgiving. And then it's like three of the, let's see, the last three non-divisional games you guys play, the Giants should be better than last year. The Rams are a team that many people are saying are going to win the Super Bowl this year. And then you get San Fran at San Fran, which we don't know what Jimmy Garoppolo is going to do. But if last last year was a little bit of a sample, 16-0, and 0, that's what they're going to do because Garoppolo don't lose. That's a joke, by the way. <laughs> don't take that seriously. But do you think the schedule at all, Pat, is what I'll ask you. Do you think the schedule should kind of bring Bears fans down to earth? Like, okay, we could see growth. But don't be surprised if we go five and eleven or six or ten with this schedule this year. I think it should definitely bring some Bears fans down because a lot of those teams beat the Bears last year. Like no, we they didn't beat anybody in their own division. They somehow win four games against the AFC North. However, they still have a completely different set schedule this year where they have to play teams like New England. They have to play Tampa Bay, who beat us last year. They have to play. Seattle, which we don't know what could happen in that game. We could win, they could win, that could be a toss-up. But I think the schedule should definitely do a good job of like helping ground Bears fans and also realize that within those games, there's going to be a lot of growing pains of the Bears learning that new offense and the defense continuing to get better, even with a lot of pass rush questions currently with the Bears. So there's going to be growing pains, and it's not going to be a smooth sailing right out of the gate. And it's interesting with this, too, because they're, those first two games are both primetime games. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and now the second game is Brandon Marshall's homecoming. That's very true. <laughs> oh, that's very yeah. true. Although completely <laughs> so different teams. So, uh, but anyway, it's interesting here because, you know, there is a lot of hype that's being built. And, of course, the media are going to, mm-hmm. you know, have a bit of that, too, talking about Mitch Trubisky because it's exciting. Yes, he didn't look great in his rookie year, but the one there's thing, still a lot of things that you're excited about. I'm going to cut you off, and I'll ask both you and Pat this, is the outcast, which go check it out. It'll be right above Mark's head, hopefully, um, if I did things right. What did you think of – they talked about like Mitch's comments from last week where mm-hmm. someone in the media asked him like that the offense was behind the defense and he kind of just I guess snapped a little bit and was like, well, who said that? Who said that we're behind and like showed a little fire but got a little fiery and a little uh, snappy with the media. Do you like that? Do you not like that from your starting quarterback? Go ahead, Pat. I don't mind it from my starting quarterback to be honest. Like I think that he's – like very passionate about wanting his, like his offense, his team to learn the offense and get better at it because it's a new offense. It's a new, more complex scheme that they ran last year under Dow Loggins' predictable offense. And I think he takes a lot of pride in like we're making progress. We're making a lot of progress. So when I think when someone comes in like, oh well, you guys are like miles behind the defense. Like I can understand like getting a little chippy about that. Like he was like uh, snappy about it, but he didn't like full on yell at him. So I didn't think of it as too much i just think he was just very passionate and he's been described as like a very passionate guy in the locker room so that doesn't really truly surprise me about mitch trubisky but it doesn't worry me to be honest yeah i think it could be one of two things i mean the one thing is exactly that i mean he's just passionate he's going to defend his team 
Uh, you know, you kind of want that out of a player. You want that out of a leader. The other thing is, potentially, it could have just been that it was spot on, and then, and he, you know, it was just a sensitive area for mm-hmm. for them to talk about, and that could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing because this is barely, you know, I mean, this is still off season. This is not preseason mm-hmm. yet, so none of anything that's really happening right now matters all that much. You know, and and I I know that you build upon things and everything like that, and uh, you know Tom Brady himself has talked year in year out about how important OTAs are. Uh, but the thing that's here that we need to really worry about is just are they learning? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if they have a bad day. It doesn't matter if it's and that's any team. It doesn't matter about that. Almost like are you also, learning from your does mistakes? the win and losses not matter? Just as long as the team is. Making progression yeah. each and every week. Exactly. Well, they don't matter yet, but mm-hmm. soon they're going to matter once we actually get to the season. But yeah. right now, they don't matter. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting too for for a team like the Chicago Bears that's pretty fresh, pretty mm-hmm. new. There's a lot of new faces, a lot of new coaches, the new new ish quarterback. Uh, that as long as it's better than last year, you know, as long as your passing game is not the worst in the NFL. Mm-hmm. As long as your defense continues to be good, as long as you can score points, you know, would six wins be better than five? Fan- yes, that would be great. Um, is it the end of the world if somehow you end up with five wins again or four wins again? No, because then you're at the top of the draft, and as long as things look better, as long as you were competitive, that's what matters. The thing that was great about the Chicago Bears, um, and this is going back even further Two, because this was the reason why uh, Danny Trevathan wanted to come play for the Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. This was a while when he signed that. But last year, they were in a lot of games. Mm-hmm. They had the opportunity to win a lot of games. And that's worth noting just because of the fact that, you know, I know, Ricky, you and I love to play the one possession game. Yes. One thing could have changed it around, mm-hmm. and then this record's completely different. I did not want the Chicago Bears. As a fan of the Bears, I did not want, want them to, go to eight win. And eight, nine, and seven, because yeah. then you're in the middle of the first round. I didn't want them to win very many games. <laughs> I wanted them to lose games because they were not in a ma- they were not a team that was ready mm-hmm. to win yet. See, and that's why I'm almost on the side. Of course, if I was a Bears fan, I wouldn't want to see my team lose. But would it be necessarily bad if the team goes? I'm going to throw out between six and ten, four and. Um, 12 area and it's like okay we saw progression this year from this team but we getting out another top five top 10 pick to get someone who can maybe help the offense maybe help the defense in some way and honestly the range that I gave is what I see because this is coming from a non Bears fan or Bears um, shaded glasses you're not beating the Packers at all this year the Vikings, I'll say, you'll like I said, you'll play us tough at home. I see the Vikings winning both games. The only teams that I could see you beating, maybe at Arizona, because I'm not really sure what we're going to get from Arizona, but I'm leaning more towards Arizona in that game at Arizona. Tampa, I think you'll beat every and AFC East team except Tom Brady you're going to beat, so Dolphins, Jets, and Bills. And then maybe you win one game against the Lions. Like, that's that's your six. If not, you're at five, you're at four. The one thing I think, though, is don't be surprised week 13 through 17 where it's Giants, Rams, Packers, Niners, and Vikings, that those are all L's to end the year. And it's like, well, we just got to the death lineup at the end of our season, and it was just 
playoff team after playoff team. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, we're not ready to compete with those playoff teams yet this year or in general because we're not there yet. Yeah, I think as a non-Bears fan, do mm-hmm. you see them beating Seattle or no? Seattle's interesting. I'm saying like it, it's interesting because it's in Chicago, but mm-hmm. I I'm saying no because yeah, the defense is coming down a little bit from that LOB that we like to think. Plus they also Richard don't Sherman. travel that well. They don't travel that well, but I will give I in that game I will give the nod to the better quarterback, and it's nothing against Mitch, but Russell Wilson's a better quarterback than well, Mitch, Mitch isn't at this a proven point. quarterback yeah. yet. So yeah. I'm yeah. going to give it to Russell Wilson to find a way to win that game. That could be one where it's like, hey, maybe the Bears lose in Lambeau play really good at home the next week, but it's like, wow, we lost by a touchdown, lost by a field goal, mm-hmm. but Seattle was just able to kind of sneak out a win in Chicago week two. I think you kind of have, I would say, seven or eight mm-hmm. fairly winnable games on the Bears' schedule. Uh, if they steal another one from the Packers, maybe, or from the Vikings, maybe Kirk Cousins' transition is going to be rougher than mm-hmm. we all think it will. You know, if they the steal a couple of those games. the first time you're playing the Vikings is week 11. So I hope Kirk Cousins is transitioned by week hey, 11. sometimes it takes a whole year. <laughs> it's not the first time a quarterback has taken a whole year to transition. If it's taken by that long, I'm hitting the panic button. I'm also hitting the panic button. I fully thing. guarantee a contract. There's no room to panic on that thing. Well, let's uh, test Ricky's panic. <laughs> yeah. Right, it's Super Bowl or bust this year for me. But at the same time, you know, they could just plain old steal it. Mm-hmm. You know, you never know what could happen. Well, and that's why the one at home, the one in Chicago, mm-hmm. I kind of am like, I wouldn't be surprised if the Vikings lost that game because you guys usually play up for it's like that, like in the NBA where you get that nothing team where it's like, oh, we we're going to play up to beat the Warriors today. That's yeah. what you guys get whenever we come to town, especially since the book has flipped and we've been the better team mm-hmm. over you guys. Yeah, I just think that there's there's a fair amount of winnable games here. I fully expect the, the floor for the Chicago Bears, I think, is probably six. Mm-hmm. The ceiling, maybe nine, maybe nine wins. Um, and I think that's getting potentially a little optimistic about stealing a game mm-hmm. from a team. But I think there's nothing wrong with being in the middle because right now, when you look at last year, the Chicago Bears were a bad team. Mm-hmm. They were a bad team that was competitive. And people might say that those are two separate things, but they're not. A bad team can be competitive. You don't have to be, uh, you know, the 0-16 Detroit Lions. Uh, or to, Cleveland Browns. You can well, say I was actually going to say the other thing about the Cleveland Browns because they were at least competitive in a few games. There Especially were a few games the they could have won. Um, but, you know, they had – some bad things happen there and bad coaching. But anyways, you can be a bad team that was competitive. If the Chicago Bears can now move to a decent team that's competitive, mm-hmm. that's a win. Because then next year you can be a good team that's competitive. It's just all about taking these steps and strides. And you can't expect to be the L.A. Rams mm-hmm. and go from being a bad team to a competing for a Super Bowl type is that, of team. Is that where the – and Patrick, I'll ask you this. Is that really where the overhyping comes from that – a lot of people, like you mentioned in your opening comments, is just like, all right, we got Matt Nagy, Mitch Trubisky's here. It's basically like when Sean McVay went to the Rams and we're going to be just like them playoffs this year. I think that is like my main point of concern because whenever you look at something in the media, wherever you hear people talk on Twitter, they immediately make that connection between the Rams and the Bears. And those, to me, are two different contexts. Sure, they've built their teams around the same way and they've, had very similar circumstances, but I would not 
make that direct connection that just because the Bears kind of followed the Rams model that the success is immediately going to go to the Bears. Because the Bears, to me, the Bears play in a much more competitive division right now. Boom. Where they're at the very bottom of their division. And they have the Vikings and the Packers and the Lions who are both, we're all really good teams. And they, they have more of an uphill, to me, they have more of an uphill climb than the Rams did for their season. So the direct connection, the direct parallels to me always bother me a little bit because I just don't think that they're exactly the same, even though people often make that connection between, oh, the, they're doing the same thing the Rams did. They must be better next year. So that has always concerned me about that team. And also the players that the Bears have brought in this year do have a lot of, to me, they have a lot of question marks. You know, people make a big drill, for example, about Trey Burton coming over and he, him being that option at tight end. But he also only played which I read, 345 snaps last year, and mm-hmm. that included the playoffs. And to me, that's a lot of hype to put on a guy who did not play a ton last year. Now he's expected to make this big contribution, and you just handed him a four-year, I think, $32 million contract to be that guy. But he hasn't really proven it yet. So there's a lot of potential, but there's a lot of, like, they have to also prove it within this new system. And I don't, and I think that's also part of the reason I think they're overhyped this year. Well, and with Trey, we're going to talk about him later because he's going to be in our, spoiler alert, he's in our top 30 for the tight end fantasy rankings. And the one thing I'm glad you brought up was the division because that's to me, yes, like when you bring up the Rams of last year, there's a lot of parallels that you can say. New young coach like um, McVay coming in who's going to spark this team and give new life to it. You've got a quarterback entering year two who had an old coach who was probably past his prime, Jeff Fisher, a la John Fox. Probably past his time. (laughs) And you also have, well, I mean, at least – John Fox wasn't doing no, uh, what, what, what seven was it? Nine seven bullshit. and nine bullshit. I, I was thinking it was either seven and nine or eight and eight, nine and seven or seven <laughs> and nine bullshit. Um, but the thing that you mentioned that I was thinking is the division, this division that we're in, that my team's in also Vikings got to the conference championship, added the hottest free agent quarterback this year, Super Bowl expectations. You have the Packers who, yeah, they lost a few pieces in the offense, kind of shuffled that around, but they've got the, depending on who you talk to, it's kind of like the LeBron James-Kevin Durant debate between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. We've even talked about who's the number one. And really, in most minds, it's the Packers have the number two quarterback in the league right now. So you have that. And then the Lions are kind of, even though they're there, they're still a competitive team, whereas the Rams last year had a Seattle team who's falling off. You have Cliff Averill this week saying that, yeah, you know, the locker room basically pretty much turned after that Super Bowl loss, that decision to kind of throw it rather than run it in that Super Bowl against the Patriots. They're coming down. You also have the 49ers were coming up, but they weren't ready to make that leap quite like the Rams were. And then you have the Cardinals, who the Cardinals were in a state of like, how did you get like this? How did you get to this point? Because you think back years ago, I think it was when you guys hired John Fox, the Bears had the decision to go with Arians, who was in Arizona. That was Mark Trustman. You had yeah. the choice to do that, but you went with a Mark Trustman. I don't want to open up that can of worms of who you rather have had, but that also ended, and it basically, with the Carson Palmer injuries, kind of put the Cardinals 
near the bottom of that division. I know that uh, San Fran was actually the bottom of it. They didn't get Jimmy Garoppolo until later, but the division was a lot different in the West is what I'm saying, which kind of helped the Rams mm-hmm. kind of expedite that process yeah. for them. And and, it, and you never know because there's a lot of question marks in, in the beginning in the offseason and mm-hmm. stuff like that. You know, the, the Lions have a new coach. The Vikings lost their offensive coordinator who was a big part of making those quarterbacks very mm-hmm. successful. Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers lost one of his favorite weapons. He also gained one. You know, the Packers defense is probably better this year. Mm -hmm. They really invested in it. Uh, Supposedly, the Lions have a great defensive mind. The Vikings got one of the best quarterbacks. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of pluses, minuses, just like for the Bears. You know, still the offensive line might have a few little holes in it. Mm -hmm. But they have all these new weapons of really talented players. I mean, they arguably got the number one targeted wide receiver in free agency, uh, they have a great weapon in Anthony Miller that they drafted and kind of a lot of people were saying is a bit of a steal. There was one commenter on our uh, fantasy rankings last week that said, don't be surprised when he's a top 10 receiver this year. I will be surprised, <laughs> but I will be pleasantly surprised <laughs> if it happens. But, you know, it's just, all these teams have good things and bad things that happen. And I think the thing about Chicago and maybe every market is like this, and we just happen to be here in mm-hmm. Chicago. But everybody gets excited. The Bears are always a team that gets hyped up. You also and they get, typically ex- you get excited let until your down. team starts losing regular season games. So I kind of feel like with the <laughs> Chicago Bears, just be happy with some progress. Mm-hmm. And I'm all for it. You know, we haven't played any games yet, so my prediction is always going to be 16 and 0. But Super Bowl, Super Bears. <laughs> that's right. But don't be upset if they go. Seven and nine. Mm-hmm. That is okay. Well, Patrick, yeah. I'll let you end the segment with just basically your final thoughts on everything just to put a bow on it. Well, my final thoughts, I guess, would be, yes, we made a lot of great progress in the offseason. They addressed a lot of needs. Some needs remain. But I know as an NFL team, you can't address every single need that you have in one offseason. That's just not realistic. But I also want Bears fans to me or realistic about the schedule that we have and the fact that Bears are having to learn this new offensive system. And Matt Nagy was talking earlier today that it took him about four or five years to like fully implement to his system in Kansas City for all of his players, and then they started making a lot of changes to it. And the Bears are being asked to do this within months, not years. And I want the Bears fans to be very realistic about Hey, this we're not we might not be a playoff team this year, and that's okay. We might not have the expected jump that all this national media is promoting, but that is okay. If we ended up seven and nine, like you said, that's okay with me. That's that's showing you're making progress and you are continuing to move forward after years of being a losing football team. So my final thoughts would be we're making great progress, but don't expect playoffs this year, because I think you're gonna be disappointed. Well, and the camera shuts off going a little bit over, but hey, we love long segments here on the Onside Kick. This is where you guys come in, though. Let us know what you think down below. Are we overhyping the Bears? Also, go check out the Outcasts. This past week, they talked with the Bears. It'll be going up this week where they looked at the Mitch Trubisky comments. Last week, they did their season, their game-by-game predictions for the season, so go check out that as well. If you are a Chicago fan, 
Thank you for Patrick again for coming on the podcast. Thank you to all our patrons. If you want to be like Pat in the future, go check patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast. Let's move on though. And Mark, we're going into our fantasy rankings yet again. Another thank you to Patrick for joining us. A great Bears topic. If you're on YouTube, you got to go check it out. A great Bears topic for Pat coming in, talking if they're overhyped. But we are looking at our tight end rankings, and we're almost to the end of our fantasy football rankings. we got tight ends this week. Then we've got the illustrious kicker episode next week. Love it. We're only doing top 16, though, next week. I don't want to kill myself going through the top 30 kickers because, let's be honest, if you carry two on your roster, something is loose up here, and you're you're basically tinfoil hat Ricky at that point. If you've got two kickers, but let's get into the first part of our rankings, 21 through 30. Before I throw up the graphic, have two honorable mentions, Clive Walford and Luke Wilson. Cracking some of the rankings, however, did not make it to the combined 30. But here is 21 through 30, starting off at number 30, Jake Butt of the Denver Broncos. Right above him, 29, Nick Vanett of the Seattle Seahawks. Then Adam Shaheen of the Chicago Bears. Then Rico Gathers at 27, Dallas Cowboys. Austin Hooper at 26 of the Atlanta or the Atlanta Falcons. Then Vernon Davis at number 25 of the Washington Redskins. Vance McDonald at 24, San Francisco 49er. This name I'm going to screw up, so Mark, you're going to help me out here. Miami Dolphin tight end Mike Gesicki. Is that how you say Gisecki, it? Gisecki, Gisecki, Gisecki. Nah. Gisecki. Miami Dolphin tight end right there at number 23. Ricky Seals-Jones at 22. And then Benjamin Watson, big old Ben Watt right there for the Saints at 21. And the guy I want to start with first, there's a few guys I want to mention here. The guy I want to start with is I actually had this guy in the top 20 of mine. You obviously had him between 21 and 30. And that's Vernon Davis. And the thing I just want to say about Vernon Davis off the start is, is he going to be the main tight end in Washington? No, that's Jordan Reed. Spoiler, he's in our top 10 for a reason. However, the thing that I think with Vernon Davis that'll help is that he is now getting a quarterback that really likes the tight end. And this will be a big year to where if we decide Alex Smith was the tight end thing because... That's all Casey had most years, besides maybe Tyreek Hill, but he was more of an offensive weapon, you could say, than a wide receiver. Or will this be the Jordan Reed and um, Vernon Davis show as Alex Smith links in with those tight ends in Washington, D.C.? And it's interesting because these two do have some history together mm-hmm. as well. Uh, yeah, they're both on the 49ers. Yeah. Um, so, and those were some of Vernon Davis's, you know, better years, better years. I mean, we're pretty far removed from those almost thousand yard seasons that Mm -hmm. he had back to back. Uh, now the thing with Vernon Davis is he's 34 years old. So does the team start to limit some of his, um, time on the field? You know, in 2015, he had 29 targets, 29 targets again in 2000, uh, well, that was one year in 2015. Part of it with Denver, part of it with San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2016, he was back up with Washington at 59-69. Not as much of the, you know, when you're that number one guy, you're going to get closer to 80, 90, 100, if not more. You know, that's going back to some of those old San Francisco days. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like you said, Jordan Reed's that number one option. But the thing about Jordan Reed 
sometimes injury might be an issue for Jordan Reed. So maybe Vernon Davis, a guy who injury hasn't been that big of an issue for Vernon Davis, maybe that does allow him to get more targets. And let me throw this at you. Would you be as a – and here's the thing that you got to think about in this ranking. Basically, everyone in my mind in the top 16 – like when you get to this part of the ranking, tight end, wide receiver's a little different, running back's been different. This is kind of almost like the quarterback rankings. Anyone in our top 16 is basically us saying they're, they could be your starter, depending on how deep your league is, if you have a 16-team league or less. Anyone below 16 to me is, this is a guy you could draft, but he's your backup tight end. He's a guy that maybe you're picking to be a flex spot in some weeks. He's going to compete for that. Or he's a guy that, ooh, he's got a good bye week with the guy that you picked. So I'm going to go and pick him as the backup. As a backup tight end, would you be mad fantasy with 41 receptions, PPR, non-PPR, you take that into your own case, 41 receptions, just under 550 yards, five touchdowns. I'm not upset, no. Those are That was the mm-hmm. last season with Alex Smith in 2012 for yeah. San Fran. Yeah, you're definitely not going to be upset with that with a guy who is essentially your backup tight end. And I know that he also had Colin Kaepernick a little bit in that one, too. I know 49er mm-hmm. fans are going to jump on me for that. And the other thing with that, too, is with uh, it all depends on your strategy. Because you mentioned the flex mm-hmm. position. Some people are in a league where tight ends can be flex. Yeah. Other people are in a league where, no, a flex is a wide receiver or a running I back. I only say that because I know in ours, our personal one with most of the guys from MVP, yeah. we can use the tight end as a flex. I think it's worth it because, you know, it gives a reason to draft another mm-hmm. one maybe. Because otherwise, you might be the person that goes, no, I got one tight end. That's good. That's I'll, all I need. I'll figure something out, yeah. you know, in week whatever. Whenever I need the buy, basically. Yeah, I'll figure it out then. Uh and tight ends are a difficult one, too, because there's mm-hmm. always going to be that guy that's going to be a surprise because maybe the first guy goes down or maybe some of those, uh, you know, that offensive line is not as good as we would hope. And that mm-hmm. way you got to get the ball out fast. Yeah. So some of these guys down here, these are prime people to target because of the fact that some of them might actually be top quality tight ends mm-hmm. towards the end of the year. Yeah. Uh, and maybe they don't get that start right away, but then they start to produce in week five, six, and beyond or something mm-hmm. like that. So you definitely get some of that. And Vernon Davis, this is a household name for fantasy football fans out there years ago, mm-hmm. but he's still always been that solid guy. He's a guy who gets drafted, mm-hmm. and there's no reason why he shouldn't get drafted in this one as well. I just don't know because he's not the number one target Alex Smith is new here, so there's you know some getting used to which, some things. The which, team is not that amazing compared to what he's had. Which in my head, I mean, you look at, first off, and this is the last thing I'll say before we kind of move on to the next guy, one that you wanted to talk about, the wide receivers, Doxon Crowder, Paul Richardson, those aren't guys that scream off the page at me. Yes, they're going to get their touches and could surprise me this year, but I think this is something that Alex Smith being new – he likes that safety blanket of the tight end. Jordan Reed will be the main, but you brought up injury. Hey, what if he gets injured? Vernon Davis is then the main go-to guy. I even think as a second tight end on this depth chart, Vernon Davis is going to get his. And with Alex Smith being new, he might go more to what he's safe with, what he is comfortable with, whether it's Jordan Reed, whether it's Vernon Davis. 
I might be a little high on him, but I think because of that, he's a top 20 tight end. And a lot of it's going to depend for people what they actually feel about Alex mm-hmm. Smith. You know, uh, Sean on, on the ultimate podcast, game manager. Yeah, doesn't like Alex Smith at all. And, you know, a lot of people out there say that Alex Smith's success is very tied to his coach. Mm-hmm. You know, Harbaugh. Which now he has Jay Gruden. Now, yeah, now he's got Jay Gruden. He had Andy Reid, quarterback mm-hmm. whisperer. So if you like Jay Gruden, if you don't like Jay Gruden, is really what's going to decide whether you like a lot of things with the Washington Redskins. Tell me about a guy that you wanted to talk about, Austin Hooper, with the Hotline of Falcons. Yeah, Austin Hooper's an interesting one because he's that kind of guy where you're going to get a little surprised by him every now and then, and he's mm-hmm. going to give you a lot of hope. Like when he played the Bears last year? Oh, killed it. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I can't even imagine how many people went and immediately picked, picked this guy up. up. And then you have... The rest of it, where, like, he's a boomer bust mm-hmm. type of tight end. And that's why I have him in this bottom section of, you know, you can try and play the matchups for him. Because he's on a great team. The Atlanta Falcons are a great team, but and they've got so many weapons. he's number one on the depth chart now. Yep, he's number one on the depth chart for tight end. Mm-hmm. But there's so many weapons out there. You know, Julio, they got Calvin Ridley now. Mm-hmm. They've got an amazing running back. So there's a lot to compete with. Um, which is good and bad because that can help things out. I mean, obviously, Julio's going to get covered. Mm-hmm. He's going to get double cover, uh, double coverage. Calvin Ridley might actually, depending on how he pans out, he might start to demand some attention and as if, well. And if this, and correct me if I'm wrong, if this Sarkeesian offense really starts to click here in Atlanta, everyone's going to get touches. It's mm-hmm. not just going to be the wide receivers, Sanu, Jones, and Ridley, Hooper's going to get his also. And like the question for me and why I put Hooper around where we had him at like 25 is are we going to see last year he got 65 targets, only 49 receptions. Are we going to see that kind of a similar number? Are we just going to see 65 targets, just over 500 yards and three touchdowns, which is almost a similar stat line to, like I said, for Vernon Davis, for a backup, that's not bad. But are we going to see a little bit more, maybe a few more yards, a few more red zone targets where maybe he has five, six touchdowns instead of just three? Yeah, you certainly are going to hope so. I mean, this is a guy coming into his third season. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is the time where you really start to develop. And you, you're not necessarily, necessarily going to always be at your prime here. You know, that might be year four, year five mm-hmm. or something like that. Uh, where players really start to to get the NFL, but this is a time where you should be turning it on. And you look at some of this, like sure, he had a couple, he had a lot of games where he only had two targets. That's out there. Uh, almost half of his games last season, he had two or less targets. But he also had quite a few where he had seven, nine, a lot of sixes and mm-hmm. five. You know, so there are season, are not season, there are games where he is getting a, mm-hmm. to be a big part of this offense. Uh, this offense had a lot of trouble, and I think coaching is part of it for sure. But I think that you should hopefully have learned, uh, and the team did better when he got more involved in a lot of these games. And one thing I do like with him, and this actually he had a 5% increase in this from rookie year to last year, but he was a guy that was catching 75% of the balls thrown to him. And I mean, for me, yeah, I know we're in backup tight end range, but for a backup— Hey, if you're going to catch 75%, if you're going to catch three of every four balls yeah. that are thrown your way, I'll take you as a backup because yeah. it's one of those things where I look at it and I go, as long as you catch the ball and have that 
big playability. Yep. Like there was one play against the Bears last year, I want to say, where he caught it and just went right up the sideline. And I yeah. think he went all the way for a touchdown, if not in the red zone, yep. like five-yard line. If you have that play, all you got to do is catch the ball and you're a threat there. So, I mean, with Hooper, it's all – he does have a ton of weapons there. Is this Sarkeesian offense really going to click year two? Those are really the questions that I have for the Falcons as total and why I have them kind of low on mine. Yeah, and it, it's going to depend on a lot of that. I mean, you know, when you're in this backup range, these guys don't get a ton of targets. They mm-hmm. get their targets, but not a ton. So they have to be people, people who make the most of it. You know, he's had plenty of games where he had a, uh, you know, 20 or more yard reception. That's good. You hope for more of that. But now, of course, with being tight end number one, hopefully, that should hopefully kind of, you know, give him more opportunities. Now, here's a guy I want to mention only because he's kind of in the similar, he's in the similar, not similar, similar footing as an Austin Hooper, but he is lower because he only had 15 targets last year. And that's Nick Vanett for me. Because the big thing why I put Vanett, I put him right at 28 in my rankings is yes, he only had 15 targets last year, but with the departure to Jimmy Graham in Seattle, Vanit's going to be the guy. He's a third-year pro, going to be the guy in Seattle. Is he going to get his touches, or should people basically like yourself? You didn't have Vanit anywhere near your top 30. Is he just a you know what? Don't even concern yourself with them because Seattle's a dumpster fire right now. Well, not true dumpster fire, but they're heading down. I'm not touching anyone from Seattle except Russell Wilson. The thing about Seattle really is that you just you just don't necessarily know when it comes to a tight end like mm-hmm. this. They got Jimmy Graham, and everybody expected the world out of that, and it didn't pan out quite as we mm-hmm. would have expected and hoped. Uh, he's gone, but now they got Brandon Marshall. There's a deep threat right there. Um, that's a guy who, if he stays healthy, he's very smart. He makes free catches, which is great for a guy like Russell Wilson who wants to throw uh, after running around in the backfield Mm -hmm. for a long, long time because that offensive line is awful. He has to make these things happen. So I I just have tons of reservations about Nick Vanett Mm -hmm. being that, you know, 124 yards last year, one touchdown. 32 uh, yards the year before that, his rookie year. You know, out of, what, 19 targets total in his career? Yep. And just sitting there going, I I need to see something. But he's, he's a guy I'm like, last watch. year he caught 80% of his pass. 80% of the balls thrown to him he caught. Yeah, which is fantastic. But if you only get 15 targets, it doesn't do much for me. <laughs> Mark's like, you should be catching 100% at that point. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little worried about the fact that he dropped three balls. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, no, it's just, I just don't know out of this one. Sure, there's not a lot of competition for mm-hmm. him out there. Well, I mean, there's, they signed Ed Dixon, who was in Carolina last year. Yeah. It, do you, like, for me, that's the only thing that's a question mark for Vanit is if he, stru- I don't want to say struggle, because third year pro, you're not expecting him to really struggle. But if he doesn't click, like, Seattle fans or the Seattle team expect him to, is there a possibility that Ed Dixon, new free agent who's been in the league since 2010, hey, I had, what, 437 yards last year, 48 targets with Cam Newton, 
I'm mm-hmm. going to slide right in here and take this number one spot from you. Yeah, it's certainly possible because, I mean, it, I think it has the potential of showing that they don't have the highest hopes mm-hmm. for Nick Fanning. I mean, it could just be that, hey, more competition is good. We can cut people mm-hmm. if we need to cut people. Uh, but really what you're kind of looking at is a fear that are they not into this guy as a receiving option? Mm-hmm. Um, are they going to be scared of using that? And it's totally possible. You know, I, I don't really expect that much out of him this coming season. Maybe pay attention to him for waiver wire, I guess. But I don't know. I just don't. There's not a clear answer for me when it comes to him for getting targets. And Vanit to me, I would. he's not a guy I would draft. He's a guy that I would put on my watch. Like, if your league has the watch list, mm-hmm. put him on your watch list. See how he does the first three weeks or maybe the first two weeks and then make a decision of, hey, you know what? Do I pick this guy up now to basically stash him and use him? Or if it's like, you know what, four weeks in and he's kind of a dud, click. I'm going to click him off that watch list. That's kind of what it is for me because for tight ends, like I said, it's kind of it's a little bit wonky as top 16 is basically if you're in a 16-man league, those are your starters. Then basically, if I'm doing my math right, up until what it would be 32, so all of these next yeah. guys would be backups. Maybe 28's a little bit too high, but th- that's more for me of what I think he'll be mm-hmm. at the end of the year. But and there's how also the draft strategy of it in the eyes mm-hmm. of if you get a solid starting tight end and everybody's drafted their backups in your, you know, let's just say 10, 12 man league, mm-hmm. your number 11, maybe 10, 12, getting your backup tight end, you probably don't have a reason to draft one because there's not going to be a difference between mm-hmm. the guy you can pick up on the waiver wire. You might be better off just drafting yet another running back. Let me put it this way, and I know this is a running back comparison, but the thing I wouldn't want to be is how I was last year with Alvin Kamara. Almost drafted him in the late rounds of our draft, passed on him because, like, you know what? AP Mark Ingram at the top, if he's good, or no, I did draft him. If you know what, I'm going to stash him. Then I'm like, you know what? AP, Mark Ingram, I'm going to dish him off. I'm getting rid of Kamari, not going to be anything. Don't be that guy that's like, you know what? I'm not going to do, like, yeah, I'm not, I'm high on him, but I'm going to go with a different position because it's too much of a risk. If you like the guy, go ahead and take him later on because don't be like me where I had Alvin Kamara for the first week, dropped him or week or two, dropped him because I thought that AP and Mark Ingram were the answer, and then I should have kept Alvin Kamara because of what he turned into. Last guy I do want to mention is from that Saints team, though, Ben Watson. Is he a guy, should we expect big things from him just because he's on a team with Drew Brees? Well, I think it can certainly help, and when he's been on the Saints before, it's kind of been a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing about about Ben Watson, uh, Benjamin Watson, is that he is the definition of inconsistency. <laughs> he'll have a year where he gets 600. Mm-hmm. He'll have a year where he gets 200. You know, he's a guy who he's drops. coming off two good seasons though. One, sure, the last one with Drew Brees, he did have over 800 yards and was targeted 110 times. He was, he was. That's great, but he also drops the ball a lot. Yeah, he did only catch 67 percent of those passes. So it's one of those just 
He's a risk. Mm-hmm. He has that boom potential. He's got that great bust potential. So it's really up to you if you trust drafting a you know thirty seven year old tight end who did have some good years. Two well, one good year with Drew Brees and mm-hmm. two not so good years with Drew Brees. Um, and not really injury issues. You're not super concerned about that. You know, you miss a game or two every now and then, but. Overall, he's been okay. Uh, it's just a gamble to me, but it's the kind of thing where if you know if you want a backup tight end and he's sitting there and here it's lower in the draft, yeah, you might be able to stash a good guy. Here's the thing, though, that you're forgetting. So you look at that 2013 through 2015. He was with New Orleans. Mm-hmm. What happened between 14 and 15 in New Orleans? Bounty Gate? No, not was Bounty Gate. Here? Who did they get rid of? Sent him to Seattle. Oh, Jimmy Graham, that's right. He became the number one guy. Yep. Without Jimmy Graham there, Vulturant, well, not Vulturant, but taking all the receptions, Yeah, that is what I'm looking like. What I see is two, yes, inconsistencies, you could say, but really that 13-14 was, hey, I'm behind Jimmy Graham, and Jimmy Graham's going to get more targets and more passes than I am. Whereas when he was the main guy, yeah, he only caught 67% of passes, but as a for my backup, getting 800 yards, what, six touchdowns? I'll take that. And, like, I see the down in his stats from last year being a Ravens problem, not a Ben Watson sure. problem. So, like, for me, he's in my top 20 for tight ends. I think that Drew Brees elevates him, though, to that point and being a part of this Saints off. Like, the thing is, Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers are the two quarterbacks I'll say this for, to where when it comes to receivers and tight ends— Take their players with a grain of salt because they won't care, oh, I got to get it to this guy. No, they're going to sling the ball all over the field. They're going to get it to the open guy. Drew Brees a little bit more than Aaron Rodgers in that sense, but that's why to me, being the main guy in New Orleans, I mean, the next tight end behind him is... Well, Josh Kobe Hill. Fleener's not there anymore. Oh, they cut Kobe Fleener? They Fleer? cut Kobe Fleener. The ones they have is Garrett Griffin and then Michael um, Humamano Wani. Basically, he was from New England. He was from New England, got a mm-hmm. Super Bowl with them. I'm not going to butcher his last name like I just tried. But those are their tight ends. So for me, Benjamin Watson's the guy. Like He's going to get most of the receptions. And I mean, yeah, they have Thomas and Ginn still. But you got rid of Willie Sneed, so it's another wide receiver you got rid of, and I don't think there's another wide receiver. Well, maybe Cam Meredith. Forgot that they got Cam Meredith, but how is he going to come back from that injury? Can he then be the number three for them with getting rid of Willie Sneed? Mm-hmm. Any guys in this 21 through 30 you want to mention that we didn't really put uh, a focus on? Just the last thing on Benjamin Watson is if he can catch the ball, mm-hmm. I know this is silly, John Madness, but he's got to catch the ball yeah. is really what it comes down to. He has had plenty of seasons where he's been around 50-60%. And last year was his highest at 77. Yeah. So, I mean, he is coming off his highest, but like you said, there's a lot of 60s. There's a 59 in there. His lowest was when he was with New England, and yeah, he only played in 14 games, but he caught, what, 47% yeah. of passes from Tom Brady, but... This is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think of our 21 through 30. Who did we hit on? Who didn't we hit on? Who do you think we should have had in these rankings that we don't have in these rankings? That's where we kind of get that discussion 
in this part of our rankings. But let's move on, Mark, into the next segment. And what we're doing is 11 through 20. If you're on YouTube, make sure to check out 21 through 30 also for our fantasy football tight end rankings, getting through them. And next week's the last one. We've got our, well, not the last one. I forgot. I mentioned earlier, Mm. we don't have kickers next week. We've got defenses. Yep. I totally forgot about defenses. Defenses exist. We'll have defenses and then kickers the next week. But what we are looking at is 11 through 20 in the tight ends this time. Let's get through them. Let's kind of give you guys what they are at number 20. The newest addition to the Indianapolis Colts. I thought he was still on the Lions. That's how irrelevant he's been in my mind is Eric Ebron of, like I said, the Colts. Then Jared Cook. The new addition to the Oakland, soon-to-be Las Vegas Raiders. Then you have ASJ, Austin Safarian Jenkins of the New York Jets. Then we've got our uh, Tampa Bay debate. We've got Cameron Bray at 17, OJ Howard at 16. We're going to get into those two in a second. Charles Clay, Buffalo Bill tight end at 15. Then at 14, George Kittle. Then Jack Doyle of those Colts at 13. Then Bengal, tight end at 12, Tyler Eifert. And then at number 11, the Cleveland Brown, David Njoku. And the first one I want to mention and kind of go into is, like I said, we got to have a Tampa Bay debate because I'll be completely honest, pull the curtain back. There is a tie basically between Brait, um, ASJ, and then Jared Cook. And out of the three, I made my case to have Cameron Brait be the top of those three. And your concern was, kind of defeats the point of a ranking then if you have O.J. Howard immediately followed by mm-hmm. Cameron Brait. So to me, I wanted to ask you, because in your personal rankings, you had O.J. Howard ahead of Cameron Brait. I almost had them back-to-back. I had Austin Serafin Jenkins kind of in the middle of them, but I had Brait ahead of O.J. Howard what is going on in your mind when it comes to the Tampa Bay tight end situation? I think for me a lot of it is I like the O.J. Howard potential, and I really don't mm-hmm. think that they utilized him well last year. I mean, only 39 targets. Uh, Do you expect that to 20. change, though? I think it should if they're smart. Uh, you know, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were a team that didn't meet expectations last year. So they drafted a guy like O.J. Howard— I don't know if you know this, but it was pretty early, round one. Oh, I know. I nailed that yeah, pick. Yeah, like— the, I nailed that pick in my mock draft. That's the thing that that shocks me, and, and I, I sit there, and I think to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, do you guys realize you How drafted you this drafted guy him. in the first round? Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have, uh, instead, Cameron Brait, who I believe is an undrafted uh, free agent. Obviously, this is his fourth season now. He's a Naperville guy. He is, Naperville Central. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, you know— He's he's successful. I mean, you know, he's getting those targets. He's getting those yards. He's getting more touchdowns. But you look at it, and it's like last year he had 77 targets mm-hmm. uh, compared to O.J. Howard's 39. But when it comes to touchdowns, they're basically the same. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe it's just the simple fact that, well, O.J. Howard's a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. Sure. But I think they can utilize him more, and I think they can do a better job with him if they want to get that offense moving. That's the problem with uh, Tampa Bay is they've just had trouble getting that offense to perform the way it should because on paper it's a great offense. And the thing I kind of think about when it comes to 
the whole Tampa Bay situation, I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I know I had both of them ranked in the top 20, but if it's me and I'm drafting, I'm avoiding both of them. And the reason why is because out of the two, like, here's what was going on in my rankings. I like O.J. Howard better than Cameron Bray, but I don't expect Tampa to have that same mindset. And the reason why I had Bray slightly ahead of O.J. Howard was I like O.J. Howard. I expect them to kind of force feed Bray as the number one guy. And the reason why I kind of think that is, hey, you kind of used O.J. Howard in a high draft pick like you said, but on the flip side, you do know that you gave Cameron Braid a six-year deal worth $41 million. Yeah. Like, you give a guy, and I know that's not quarterback money, but you give a guy a $18 million guaranteed contract, forty mil, uh, $41 mil for six years, that is basically, hey, you know, we're locking you down. You're our main, like, you're maybe not the main guy for the long haul, but we want you here for six years. We want you to be a mainstay because you do part... I'm thinking it might be at best a 50-50 split, but I think it'll be more of a 60-40 split in the favor of Cameron Braid of how I think he will be used and O.J. Howard will be used. That's why for me, personally, when I get to the draft, like I said, I'll avoid both of them. And that's the reason why, because I don't want to be burned saying, I like O.J. Howard, I'm going to draft O.J. Howard, and then get burned because it's like, oh, some weeks he had good weeks, but then there's other weeks where it's like, Damn that Cameron Bright. Why do you have to? He had a good game this week, and he they went to him more, and I just want to avoid that. And that's why I wonder if, obviously, these two will be drafted in leagues, mm-hmm. either as backups or as starters. We're kind of in that range for them as they are. Actually, both of them are in the top 16, which would, or no, OJ's in the is 16, Bright is 17. So they're right on that cusp yeah. of starter to non-starter. I wonder what people are going to think, though, because I kind of feel like it's going to be that whoever you draft, if you, if you don't handcuff them, then what are you going to do? It's like, oh, I have O.J. Howard, but, you know, some weeks he's a dud because they go to Cameron Braitmore. I'm going to avoid that and not even draft either of them. The hard thing is when you when you look at these two guys and you kind of start to compare some of their numbers, uh, mm-hmm. average yards, O.J. Howard is better. Yep. For long O.J. Howard is better. Touchdowns, they're even. Targets, Cameron Brait. So it's 39 to 77. Howard has more of that big play potential. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like he was getting used a little bit more and a little bit better towards the end of the season. Of course, he didn't play those last couple games. Uh, but he was starting to get used. They were starting to actually utilize this weapon that they had. Mm-hmm problem is just that that offense completely was inconsistent so yep. i i kind of understand what you're saying of wanting to avoid these guys that's another thing this tampa offense i am just ooh, not not not, not really sure. happy with them so yeah. it's like it's one of those where because i'm unsure about tampa in general unless it's mike evans i might like mike evans and i think a sneaky pick of ronald jones might be the only guys on the bucks i think about touching and i know deshaun jackson's on that team yeah it's I want to ask you, though, we talk mm-hmm. about Brait and um, O.J. Howard. What about other two guys that are in our top 20? Eric Ebron, I know he's a new addition to the Colts, but him and Jack Doyle, a duo, they've got a bigger gap in our top 20. They're not 
hugging each other right at spot to spot. But my big thing with the Colts when it comes to all their receivers, reason why I had T.Y. kind of low, what is Andrew Luck's situation going to look like? Is he going to be healthy for week one? Is he not going to be healthy for week one? Until I know that answer for sure, I'm going to be a little bit lower on Colt receivers in general. No, and you're completely right on that, and you should be. Well, receiver tight end. Yeah, you, you should be a little weary of any any pass catcher mm-hmm. uh, in Indianapolis. But, I mean, Jack Doyle, 108 targets last year, uh, yeah. 690 yards, but does Eric Ebron chip into that at all? I would think that he should, um, but maybe part of it really is that they want these kind of middle options uh, mm-hmm. for, hopefully, Andrew Locke when he comes back. Uh the offensive line still isn't amazing, mm-hmm. so he's going to have to dump the ball off or whatever quarterback is going to have to dump the ball off. So really it's going to come down to that mystery there. The the guys in the Indianapolis Colts, for me, are kind of in that I might avoid them, but I, I need more information mm-hmm. about Andrew Luck first. You know, if he starts to get into that maybe week two, three, four start time, he all may, right, he makes every, one of these He guys. makes everyone better. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, if— I will be completely honest. If Andrew Luck was for sure a, like, I am starting week one and I will be 100%, Jack Doyle would have been 11 or 10 on my ranking. Like, he would have been right there on my ranking for, or actually, you know what? Looking at my personal, he was 11. So without Andrew Luck, he's 11. If he would have been, like, Andrew Luck week one, he would have been in my top 10. He would have been number 10. Just because of, just because of, all right, Andrew Luck and what he does for receivers to yeah. elevate everyone around him. He's one of those quarterbacks. Sure, but he didn't necessarily do it with Jack Doyle before. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, like, that was Jack also— Jack Doyle's been on the team since 2013. True, but we have a situation also where we were talking mm-hmm. about, um, who was it uh, that we just talked about? Ben Watson, where you got to remember— Early on in Luck's career, they have Kobe. They had Kobe Fleener, who never did anything. So, well, never did anything, but really, him and Luck mm-hmm. had that connection from Stanford, carried it into the but they NFL. Really, they really didn't. Well, Kobe Fleener was not good for the Colts. I'm, I'm not saying he was good. I'm saying that Andrew Luck targeted him more than a Jack Doyle. And then yeah, I can't remember the guy last year, but they always had mm-hmm. two guys, and Jack Doyle always seemed to be the second option. This year, it seems like Jack Doyle, Eric Ebron, maybe Jack Doyle will be that first sure. option this time. I think I would be scared if I'm drafting Jack Doyle, the fact that mm-hmm. that 107 targets last year, Andrew Luck was not there. They mm-hmm. have backup quarterbacks that are just half the time trying to throw the ball to whoever because the team is not that great. Then the offense isn't that could good. Could you make a case if Andrew Luck is out, his value is greater than where we have it because— the quarterbacks last year seemed to like to target him and like to go and throw him passes. You could say that, sure. I mean, the team itself still isn't that good. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the that's the hard thing with it. Of like, sure, he's getting targeted more and he will get some yards. Because I mean, uh, but I don't necessarily know that he's going to be that top level type of guy. Because I mean, for me, the thing that also plays into it with the Colts mm-hmm. is I don't like most of their receivers behind Ty. Yeah. Like, right now they're starting, too, is T.Y. and Ryan Grant, which most people, when Ryan Grant got a contract this offseason before he failed his physical, were like, who? Who's Ryan Grant? Oh, yep. Redskins? It's like, first people were like, wait, Ryan Grant? I thought it was an old uh, 
running back that used to play for the Green Bay Packers. The way I see this team's 1-2-3 going is it could be T.Y. Hilton's my main option, and then Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron, where it's like, yeah, we've got receivers, but these tight ends, we're going to go to them as 1-2, and two, or 2-3 two and three over most of the receivers because they're just not, they just don't have that caliber that we want from our wide receivers. There's a lot that needs to be figured out in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. and, and that's, a, that's an unfortunate thing because, I mean, that's the thing, too, where we've talked about where Andrew Luck suddenly plays week one. This is a much different team. Yeah. But, you know, he rushing yards. makes them better. Rushing yards, they were a below average team. Passing, they were terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's they didn't another score thing. any points. They lose Frank Gore. They gave up a lot of points. They really don't have, to me, a running back on the roster right now that just screams like, yes, this is our main guy. Yeah. This is a guy I'm excited for coming into this year. two. So yeah, I mean, Heinz, hopefully one of those guys. Heinz, I'm kind of interested to see what he does, but I mean, will he be mainly a return option, and will he basically be what Josh Ferguson's been, where it's like, oh, good numbers, but you're not our starting running back. Yeah, and that's a hard thing. They they did try to address the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Getting Quentin Nelson is a huge yep. Huge addition. I was going to say, when you uh, uh, knocked the offensive line, I was like, didn't they get Quentin Nelson? They did, <laughs> but just Quentin Nelson, I mean, he's good. Uh-huh. He's definitely good, but rookie, he's got more mm-hmm. things to learn. Here's one guy I'm thinking about, and I really didn't know. I didn't know if 14 was too high for him. That's where I had him. Charles Clay. And yeah. the reason why is he was on my team last year, and I really liked him when he was in. However, some of the negatives with Charles Clay. First, there's the injury, where last year he was injured for some games, so he missed out. He was actually the one player all year that I had on our DL spot. Then you look at last year. All right, cool. He had 74 targets, just over 550 yards, only two touchdowns. But like I said, he only played 13 games. Here's my question, though. He had those numbers... With Tyrod Taylor. A dink and dunk kind of guy. He had those numbers with Tyrod Taylor. Will he have that same kind of numbers, if not better, with Josh Allen, with A.J. McCarron? With A.J. McCarron, I'm saying no. If A.J. McCarron is the if-de-facto starting quarterback, then Charles Clay falls in my personal tight end rankings. If Josh Allen's the guy... I'll leave him where he's at, but I'll still wonder if 14 is too high based yeah. on the quarterback situation in Buffalo. Well, I think the thing that you got to remember is you had a dink and dunk quarterback. Mm-hmm. Now you got a guy who's going to throw at 80 yards. Mm-hmm. You know, you got a guy who wants to unleash the dragon. And Rex Grossman, Sexy Rexy. Baby. Exactly. You know, Charles Clay certainly last year had some great success. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I will say one thing when people talk about, you know, last year, 558, that's great. But one game, he got about a fifth of those yards. Mm -hmm. That game against Atlanta, he got 112 yards. A fifth is a little exaggerative, Mm -hmm. but whatever. Um, You know, there was quite a few games where he didn't get much. He's a boom or bust type of guy. Injury is also a thing. He's only had one season where he's played 16 games. Now, you add in a quarterback that... And I I know I'm harping on it a little bit. He's not going to only 
throw deep verticals. But he's still a rookie. But he's a rookie, he's and a he's going to want to do it, and he's going to throw quite a few interceptions. It would I be think. different if they. It would be different if they had Josh Rosen. If they had Josh Rosen, my perspective would be different because he, Josh Rosen, everyone's saying coming in, oh, most pro ready quarterback coming yep. out. Josh Allen was the guy that people are saying, oh, he needs the most work. So He's because the of that, be with him being a project, how many people are going to view Charles Clay lower and kind of pass on him as that, like, and I know, like I said, top 16 is starting tight end territory. How many people go, no, I don't want him as my starting oh, tight I, end? I certainly Because think I don't fall. like the quarterback situation, whether it is A.J. McCarron, in, who was with Cincinnati, or the rookie in Josh Allen, and if it's Nate and Peterman, the whole team can just go 0-16 because he's throwing an average of five picks a game. I, I certainly think he could fall, and that might be a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're getting towards the end... You can get him on a discount almost? Yeah, exactly. You can get a steal, a sleeper in that case, and that would be good for you, for sure. Uh, the thing that the Buffalo Bills really need to have mm-hmm. just for their season in general and for fantasy football here is they need to have turnovers limited and smart passes because remember their you know young nice rookie quarterback with a cannon of an arm doesn't really complete that many passes mm-hmm. uh and that typically does not lead to success in the NFL when in college they didn't complete very many passes so that scares me because, sure, you might get 74 targets, but, you know, you might only catch about 30 of them because half of them were a target, technically, mm-hmm. but it's at your feet. Yeah. You know, or it's above your head. And even at, what is he, 6'6", six, 6'3", six, six, mm-hmm. uh, Charles Clay 6'3", even so, you can't catch it. It's too high for you. Well, and I mean, I want, let's bring in another guy, too, with that mm-hmm. is, I mean, this is on the other side. Charles Clay loses Tyrod Taylor. David Njoku gains Tyrod Taylor. Which I like. And the thing I like about Njoku is I actually just changed my personal core or my personal tight end rankings and flipped Njoku and Tyler Eifert. I had Eifert at 12, Njoku at 13. Doesn't change what I said earlier on. It just breaks up a tie that we had between Najoku and Eifert. And the reason why is I started to think while we were talking about Charles Clay is that the quarterbacks are quarterbacks. And I'm like, all right, Najoku had a pretty good season last year, 60 targets. You want some more yards. You want some more, like four touchdowns is good. Maybe you want plus five for this year. The good thing, though, is whether it's Tyrod Taylor or whether it's Baker Mayfield, I know Baker, his sample size is from college. Both of those quarterbacks like the tight end. Which is great. Like Tyrod Taylor, we're talking about, oh, maybe the numbers for Charles Clay were what they were because of Tyrod Taylor, more of a dink and dunk kind of quarterback. And then Baker Mayfield, the only reason we were talking, like Mark Andrews is a good talent in this last draft. But the only reason why people, in my mind, were talking about him being a third-rounder was because Baker Mayfield helped elevate his play. And that is another thing that I think that whether it's Baker, whether it's Tyrod Taylor, I think that this could be a huge jump for Najoku in this year. And I know they have Josh Gordon. I know they just got Jarvis Landry, which is like, but guys— 
They've got weapons for days on the outside. Najoku is still going to get his. I think he gets a little bit more than 60 touches this year, or he targets, should. I should say. And I think that Tyrod and Baker are the reason why, no matter who and starts. And certainly they're going to be more catchable than when Kaiser's mm-hmm. throwing them to you because Kaiser Hell had, yeah. did not like to throw the ball to mm-hmm. any of his receivers. Uh, but well, he's hopefully, a guy, he, hopefully he can learn a thing under Aaron Rodgers. Certainly we can hope. <laughs> uh, he's a guy who will get targeted quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I really like the quarterback options he has uh, throwing in the ball, especially with potentially Tyrod Taylor. I think it'll help out a lot. He's a guy who I'm pretty high on because I think the wide receivers are going to get a lot of attention. But, you know, well, you can Njoku's going to— You can only double one of them. Yeah, he's going to be a guy who's going to be open. Uh, and if you have a rookie, fantastic. If you got, have a guy who likes to dink and dunk his way up the field, the tight end's the perfect spot to do it. So I think he's going to be catching a lot of— of balls for sure. And I mean, this isn't going to hurt Najoku. It's just a kind of question of Gordon and Landry are going to get theirs. Najoku is going to get his. How much of a year? I know this is a wide receiver, but this could yeah. potentially, if anything, maybe chip into Najoku a little bit. Does Corey, uh, Corey Coleman, does he even factor this year? Because he's a guy we were really high on coming yeah. out of college. Hasn't really been what we expected, though. No, he hasn't. Um, but I think that certainly can he can maybe get some help. Uh, Landry is that guy who I'm expecting mm-hmm. really good things out of. Uh, even though most no, people are going to talk about Gordon. He's your number one. Gordon's your number two. Yeah, yeah. I, I expect a lot of good things out of Landry, and he's got that new chip on his shoulder mm-hmm. of Miami didn't want me. Well, I'm going to show you why you should have. You know, I'm going to show you why you should have kept me around. I. I'll be honest, and I, this is a general Cleveland thing, and we'll get more into this when we do our previews, but I am super excited. I am super excited for the Cleveland Browns this year, and I know that you're you're one of the people that are starting mm-hmm. to turn on uh, the Wolverine there in uh in Cleveland, I'm not starting. I turned. <laughs> I turned on. Well, him. I mean, early on, before the one in fifteen, super excited about Hugh Jackson in Cleveland. But now, one win in two years. Yeah, Mark has turned the page a little bit. This year is going to be <laughs> a little bit. The book has been closed. <laughs> this to me is going to be the make or break year for Cleveland and Hugh Jackson because yep. I mean, I look at this team and I've said it before. We just talking about the receivers. Carlos Hyde on this team. Nick Chubb on this team. You go ahead and add. I like Antonio Callaway, although he had the um, issues in college with discipline. I mean, even defensively, like Denzel Ward in the first round, Chad Thomas in later rounds. You get Gerald Avery. This team don't don't be shocked if Cleveland wins a few games. Makes us makes a big step and is like five and eleven. I'll say that. Like five and eleven will be a really good season for Cleveland. That would be a very year. good season for because Cleveland. I like maybe maybe three wins, but like five's the ceiling. I just like this team overall. And like I can't wait to see what Najoku even does in his second year with better quarterbacks than he had last year. Cause last year was the weird decision of like, well, do we start Kaiser? Do we not start Kaiser? We're not gonna start Kaiser. No, we're we are, no, we're not. Yeah. It was such a like not do I mean be really vulgar, but it was basically a clusterfuck over they there. Completely like, they completely ruined any potential of confidence he might have had. Chicken with the head cut off, and they're yeah. not going to have that issue with either Tyrod or um, Baker Mayfield. Any guys in this range that we didn't touch that you want to give a little love to? 
Um, no, not necessarily. I think that uh, people might be a little down on us for being a little low on Jared Cook. Mm-hmm. Um, I just the thing is, I don't know what to expect from that Raider team. I don't either. With John Gruden, I don't know what to expect. So I'm kind of kind of underrating all the Raiders until I see what it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the only one where people might be saying that. This guy is way off. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Maybe they'll say it about everything, but yeah, Jared Cook's my my guy there. I mean, that's but that is like that is I will no, say I'm the completely thing with, with you the Raiders, with the Raiders and with John Gruden. I I just don't know what to expect out of him. I don't know if he's really adapted his mm-hmm. game that much. If he's going to be so old school, it's tough to say. And I mean, he brings in especially offensively. He's bringing in Greg Olson, who was with that Rams team last year. Marshawn Lynch, like, and since we're talking about tight ends, not that Greg Olson. Yeah, not that Greg Olson. We'll talk about him in a second. I just with the Raiders, let me see what John Gruden's going to be before I start overhyping. Yeah. the Oakland Raiders. But this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in the comment section about eleven through twenty. If you have not checked out, make sure you check out our twenty-one through thirty as well. Let's close out this podcast, Mark. Looking at the top ten. Tight ends that we have for our Suddenly fantasy the, rankings. Suddenly uh, the average fan is recognizing these names. Yes. Now the average fan is like, oh, I know these guys. Like, these are the guys that I really want. These are the main, like, if you're looking for that first tight end off the board for you, this should be in the range of the guys you're looking at. But if you're on YouTube checking out this segment, make sure to check out 21 through, or 21 through 30, 11 through 20. If you're on Blog Talk Radio, thank you guys for kind of Sticking on right through if you're on iTunes, listening on podcast services around the world. Thank you guys for sticking on through. But let's start with our top 10. At number 10, the Chicago Bear. I'll be honest, I'm going to want to start with him first. Trey Barton? Burton? Burton? Burton. Trey Burton of the Chicago Bears. Then Jordan Reed of the Washington Redskins. Delaney Walker at 8 of the Tennessee Titans. Kyle Rudolph at seven from my Minnesota Vikings. Then Evan Ingram of the New York Giants right there at number six. Jimmy Graham, the newest addition to the Green Bay Packers at five. Number four, Greg Olson coming off an injury for the Carolina Panthers. Travis Kelsey at number three for the Kansas City Chiefs. Zach Ertz at two. The guy for the Philadelphia Eagles, as Brandon likes to call him, the defending Super Bowl champions. And then at number one, there was no question if he was going to be number one or not. Gronk, Rob Gronkowski of the New England Patriots. And the guy I want to start with first is Trey Burton. And the reason why I want to start with him, if you're listening all the way through, in the first segment, we had Pat kind of mention Trey Burton in our Bears overhype segment of like, you know, this is a guy that are we really overhyping him? Like, he didn't really have a lot of touches last year, and now everyone's expecting him to be something special in Chicago. You had him higher than I. I had him right where we had him at 10. Mm-hmm. You had him at 8. What's going through your mind, Bear fan, about Trey Burton? Well, it's it's similar to some of these other uh, guys that we've talked about where mm-hmm. Allen Robinson commands the double team. Uh, you have Anthony Miller, you know, maybe you got Kevin White, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, you have these different options available. And then Trey Burton's going to be there as that underneath type of guy. Or, you know, you have a great guy in Travis, uh, not Travis Kelsey, that's where I'm going. But in Matt Nagy, who where if you look at Travis Kelsey, 
you have an idea of things they would like to do with Trey Burton on the Chicago Bears. So he's going to be a guy who's going to be available and a, someone who is going to mm-hmm. be that safety blanket that a sophomore quarterback, uh, Mitch Trubisky, who partially is kind of still a rookie because that first season, he barely got to do anything. He played 12 games, but when he was playing, he was playing mm-hmm. in air quotes because John Fox wouldn't let him throw the ball. So he's a guy who still has things to learn. He's going to want to take advantage of this safety blanket there. But the other thing with uh, Trey Burton that's kind of nice for the Chicago Bears uh, and is the reason why, in my personal rankings, Adam Shaheen showed up Mm -hmm. because they're going to, I'm assuming, use a fair amount of two tight end sets because they have two good pass-catching tight ends. Shaheen's the and guy... they want to take advantage of both. Baby Shaheen, Gronk. Yeah, Shaheen's baby Gronk. That's yeah. what I was going to ask. Now, hasn't done very much so far for the Chicago mm-hmm. Bears, uh, but there's a lot of hype, a lot of potential Because he, he was a D2 prospect, right? Shaheen yeah, D2. Was. Yeah. Um, here's the thing that I'm thinking, and the reason why, like, Trey Burton, I'm the lowest down out of the top 10 tight ends, but the reason why I had him at 10 is because Matt Nagy's your offensive coordinator basically yeah it's Matt Nagy's system if there's anything we knew from Kansas City you could say it's Alex Smith I'm gonna say it's a little bit of column a a little bit of column b with the system and the quarterback the tight end is going to be kind of featured a lot yeah you have Allen Robinson yeah you have Taylor Gabriel yeah you have Anthony Miller who um, Bears fans are really high on I last week in our rankings for wide receivers said I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being a top 30 wide receiver, although I didn't have him in these preseason rankings. Because of that offensive system, though, I'm like, you know what? Burton deserves to be here at 10. Because if Burton can be half, hell, even about 40% of what Travis Kelsey is to Kansas City, you'll take that as a fantasy owner in my mind and as a Bears fan for the season. And really it depends on the growth of like that's the thing. Like yeah, he's going to be featured more, but also he doesn't have that veteran quarterback as well. Like Mitch is entering his second year. There's going to be I expect to be growing pains as well. And that's why I'm like, you know what? I'm going to put him at 10 being a starting guy in a Matt Nagy system. He'll be at 10, but I'll be I I rather have put him low and be proven wrong then put him too high and be proven wrong. Yeah, I think for sure. And there's a reason why he is, you know, the last part of mm-hmm. this first column. He's the biggest risk out of these guys in the top 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think he's got a lot of potential to be a top quality tight end. There's so many other things around there. That's not even talking about the fact that there are two top quality uh, running backs in Chicago. Mm-hmm. That defense is good. So that ball should be coming back to Chicago. Um, there's a lot of reasons why he'll have potential. If you're worried about the touches or the yardage from the past, he was a number two tight end. He's getting mm-hmm. his chance to shine now, uh, and he will be the number one tight end in Chicago. Well, and that's why the next guy will kind of jump right over to him. We'll stay with this Kansas City mindset. Is Travis Kelsey, is it three in our rankings? I have him at two. You have him at four. Why do you got Travis Kelsey at four behind Gronk, Ertz, and Jimmy Graham? Well, part of it for me is Gronkowski, not, there's no question. Mm-hmm. Zach Ertz for me, uh, 
I, you know, the number two behind him is now gone. Mm-hmm. So hopefully he's going to get a little bit more. Also, this MVP of Carson Wentz should hopefully be there for 16 games. Or Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles. Exactly. <laughs> or Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles. But during the regular season, Nick Foles, not mm-hmm. so good. So, uh, you know, having Carson Wentz back should improve Zach Ertz even further. I We'll talk about Jimmy Graham, but I, I have high hopes for him. The thing for Travis Kelsey, for me, that put him down, because without a doubt, if Alex Smith was there, we are exactly on the same page for mm-hmm. probably our top five. Uh, that he would be, if Alex maybe Smith was there, he'd be number two. Four. Yeah. You know, that Travis Kelsey would be my number two, mm-hmm. but... Patrick Mahomes is a new guy. Sure, he played a game, and Mm -hmm. he played in the preseason. And he looked decent in the preseason, decent in the regular season game he played. But he's got a lot of things to learn. The offensive coordinator is gone. There's a new offensive coordinator in Kansas City. So there are a lot of things to learn, a lot of new things to adapt to. We don't know if Patrick Mahomes is going to be as good as people are hoping. Mm -hmm. And there were three big names taken in that draft. Deshaun Watson, Mitch Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes. Two of them look like they're good so far. Mm -hmm. Will all three be good? Statistically, probably not. And I keep throwing this out here since I learned it from the DP show when he was on, but Mm -hmm. Patrick Mahomes was the guy that the Saints almost traded up for, but the Chiefs just sniped him and did it first. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how highly touted he was even coming out of college. But... As a guy you can stash behind mm-hmm. and let learn. Yeah. The big question I mean, is going to be. Drew Brees. Exactly. And th- they had Alex Smith. Mm-hmm. The big question is going to be for Patrick Mahomes is, was one year enough mm-hmm. in his development? And he's got a great advantage of having Andy Reid as a coach. That guy can coach some quarterbacks. So that's why I deducted Travis Kelsey a little bit. Just not because I think he's going to be bad or anything, but I just think that there's a little bit of a question mark mm-hmm. that makes me say, maybe I go with a Jimmy Graham instead because Aaron Rodgers is his quarterback. See, and to me, I'm on the complete other side of Travis Kelsey is still the if de facto number two tight end in my mind when it comes to fantasy because, yes, Matt Nagy left, but when it comes to Kansas City, from hearing Nagy talk and hearing interviews – It doesn't sound like to me that, all right, Nagy was his own mind. He had his own system. Now that he's gone, we're going to get a new complete system. Basically how I feel it is, oh, it's Andy Reid's system. I'm just bringing in my next pupil. I am bringing in my next mind that I am going to mold into this position where really the offensive concept stays the same. But it's for whether, the most part, you're going to get a little different variation yeah, on it. But is it? I'm going to. Is Andy Reid going to be calling the plays? Is the OC of um, Eric Eric Benemy? I think I said that right. Is he going to be calling the plays? What's Andy Reid typically on? calls plays. Well, and so I mean, he gave it to Matt it. Nagy last year a yeah. little bit, so there was that too. I just and I know they got Sammy Watkins, but I'm not mm. expecting Sammy Watkins to be boom out of the gate, kind of exploding. I think what it's going to be, new quarterback. You know what? I have Tyrock. I have Tyreek Hill. I've got Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins will take the most time to gel with Patrick Mahomes. Tyreek Hill will take the second um, uh, most time. I think Travis Kelsey is going to turn into a safety blanket, and he is going to not just a safety blanket that oh dink and dunk, 
a safety blanket of, you know what, I'm Patrick Mahomes. I can throw it down the field. Yeah. And I think that he's going to be the main target still, and because of that, rack sure. up fantasy points. I do wonder with Patrick Mahomes if he's going to be similar to what I was talking about with Josh Allen, the guy who's going to throw it down the field maybe a little too much, mm-hmm. where he's going to choose not to go with the safety blanket and instead try and force it. He kind of I does think it. his coach is his. Would we say his coaching staff is better than Josh Allen, though? The oh, Andy Reid coaching staff than the Sean McDermott staff. That doesn't mean that in the moment he doesn't go back on instinct. But don't. But there's that. But do you expect yeah. them to put him in situations play call wise? That'll be. We're going to put you. Oh in the yeah, best I situations. think they're going to be better in that. But play calling. There's a reason why Andy Reid gave up play calling last year because for he forgets the run game. And that's his. That's his. That's his little bugger. That's his Achilles' heel, right there. <laughs> uh, you know, and I'm not trying to harp on on Patrick Mahomes. I'm just saying that there's a reason why Travis Kelsey is four instead of two. Mm-hmm. It's because he's got a quarterback with near zero experience in the NFL. So it's just one reservation for me to say, you know, maybe Travis Kelsey doesn't have a 1,000 yard season this year. Maybe instead it's an 800 yard season, uh, which. He's had about half of his career. Mm-hmm. So it was not that unrealistic to expect something like that. And I mean, the thing that we look into here is I know that, like we said, Matt Nagy was there. And I know that in the one game, I know it's a one and game we're sample also, size. We're kind of underestimating potential uh, Alex Smith influence mm-hmm. for Travis Kelsey, too, of being that dink yeah. and dunk kind of guy. Well, there's also this, and I'll say this out of the one game. That Mahomes played. I know it was his first start, and it was a meaningless game. Yeah. Let's be completely honest. The Broncos weren't playing for anything, and the Chiefs were just making sure no one got hurt before the playoffs. The Albert Wilson was the leading receiver. He was a wide receiver, though. Um, Ten receptions, 147 yards. The next guy, and this is the part you can put in with the tight end, only three receptions. But Demetrius Harris got 73 yards on those three receptions. So I wonder if it's going to be, yeah, Tyreek Hill might get most of the receptions, most of the targets. Mm -hmm. But Travis Kelsey has those, like, five catches for 120 yards with Mahomes. Where it's like, yeah, he's got, for PPR, Travis Kelsey might be a little bit more undervalued because he's not getting as many receptions. Yeah. But in a normal league, he's getting yards for days, if not touchdowns. And for that's days. a big thing about Travis Kelsey, too. He's a guy who will mm-hmm. get double digit targets. Yes. You know, he's a guy who will get that. Now, that's with Alex Smith. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, well, I don't know I what would, Patrick Mahomes is going to be for. And him. I like that small sample size is without Travis Kelsey, without yeah. Tyreek Hill, with Patrick Mahomes. So, I mean,. We really got to see what it's going to be. I don't think there's any worry, though. Like, maybe a little bit for mm-hmm. people, but I don't really see, worry I, about yeah, Travis I, Kelsey I'm not dropping it, off. I'm not calling it worry. I'm just saying he goes from second best mm-hmm. tight end in my personal rankings to fourth best tight end. Which you're still saying that margin is small between That, that. is a tiny margin <laughs> uh, between what is Zach Ertz, Jimmy Graham, Travis Kelsey. Well, you mentioned him. What about the guy you did have at three, Jimmy Graham, now yeah. with the Green Bay Packers? So Jimmy Graham is one of those interesting ones where we talked about it earlier in the podcast. Mm-hmm. The Seattle days were not what we expected. He did have that 900-plus yard season, but he also had a 500 and a 600. Mm-hmm. It's not those, you know, 13 and 1,200 yard seasons where he said, I'm a pass catcher, 
not a tight end. But now he's got a quarterback equal, if not greater, than Drew Brees. Exactly. Exactly. He's not necessarily, I mean, in the season, Drew Brees is probably going to throw for mm-hmm. more yards, uh, at least traditionally, than Aaron Rodgers will. But Aaron Rodgers is going to throw for days. And he's going to throw to Jimmy Graham a 6-7 target. He doesn't have he's Jordy Nelson it. anymore. Nope. He He's going to love having Jimmy Graham out there. I think this is a nice resurgence for Jimmy Graham. Mm-hmm. Being with Green Bay, it's unfortunate because you're a Vikings fan. I'm a Chicago Bears fan. We are mm-hmm. not looking forward to this. Uh, but My I, defense I, will handle it. We'll just injure Aaron Rodgers again, right? Yeah, that's one way to do it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not promoting spoken, a bounty gate. <laughs> I was going to say spoken like a true That uh, is a joke. I do not hope Saints that Aaron Rodgers gets injured. I'm just yeah. saying, I, I hate the Saints for that. That's, ugh. but I, I mean, here's the here's the thing I'm looking at. Like Jimmy Graham, I could see why people have him in the top five. I have an eight because it's the Trey Burton effect. I'm going to call it. It's the let me see what you're going to do because the thing with Aaron Rodgers that we've said that I said earlier is he's going to spread the ball around. And I know that there were some people last week that were like, "What? You've got Devonta Adams in your top ten? What are you crazy? That's also a thing. Devonta Adams is your number one receiver. Randall Cobb could be out of town at the end of the or after the season, next offseason. Will Jimmy Graham assert himself as the one or two? Or will Aaron Rodgers just, hey, I'm gonna spread the ball around. I'm not gonna target just one guy like Jimmy Graham. I'm fully expecting this to be Jimmy Graham for the Saints. Mm-hmm. And basically being the number one target. For, for Aaron Rodgers instead of Drew Brees. Mm-hmm. That's completely what I expect. And you, you think about it with, you know, sure, you're going to run into some good linebacking units with uh, with Minnesota, with Chicago, but Jimmy Graham's that guy who doesn't have to sit in the middle. You know, he doesn't have to be a safety blanket. He can be essentially a wide receiver who happens to be a monster to cover. Mm-hmm. You know, Jimmy Graham and Rob Gronkowski were looked at as – a revolution in the NFL at one point. Uh, now injuries have kind of held one of them back a little bit, and Jimmy Graham's season, our career, took a little bit of a downfall mm-hmm. uh, before having a little bit of inconsistency. But really, for me, Jimmy Graham and Aaron Rodgers is going to be an amazing connection, and it's the kind of thing that he needs. Having lost Jordy Nelson, uh, he needs a pure weapon that he can just rely on every time. Here's what I'm going to ask you. Here's a follow-up question, what I'm thinking about. So Joe Philbin, ex-head coach of the Miami Dolphins, was the offensive coordinator last year with the Colts. He is now the offensive coordinator with the Green Bay Packers. Here's the question I have. Because Jimmy Graham's not the only tight end on this roster, they've got Mercedes Lewis, they also have Lance Kendricks. Yeah. Could we see this team because of, especially at wide receiver, to me it's Adams, Cobb, Allison, everyone else, Equiminia, St. Brown, I expect to make a jump and it be them four are the main receivers. Do we see them use all three of these tight ends in different variations, kind of like what Philbin did with the Colts, which, hey, I've got Jack Doyle, I've got um, – other uh, the other tight ends as well, and I'm going to mix it up to where it's not just one tight end each and every time, and the same guy in Jimmy Graham. Or do they just go 
fuck it, it's Jimmy Graham, and he's going to be our main. Like, he's obviously number one on the depth chart, but he's going to be our main guy, and these other two we're just going not to not get into the offense as much as some people may think. Yeah, I personally think that when I'm looking at Jimmy Graham, and part of the reason I have him so high is I'm not looking at him as the tight end. Mm-hmm. I'm honestly thinking Jimmy catcher. Graham is their number one wide receiver, okay. their number one pass catcher mm-hmm. in Green Bay. I, I, I rank him above anybody else who's going to possibly touch the ball in Green Bay. And the thing to think about with Joe Philbin when he was with the Green Bay Packers, their offense was top 10 in points scored and total yards every single year he was there. He was there for four years. That's a big deal. So you're going back to that 2010, 2009, 2010, 2011. You're going back to that Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. That Aaron Rodgers, especially when you look at that 2011, 45 touchdowns, 4,600 yards, this is a guy who will be throwing the ball a lot. They had a better running game in 2011 than they probably have now. I'm not really sure how I feel about Green Bay's running game right now. Um, but Jimmy Graham is something they did not have in 2011. And I'm going to correct myself. I'm thinking two years ago for the Colts. So two years ago, they had Jack Doyle as the main guy, Dwayne Allen as the second guy, 75-52 um, receptions each. Last year, the main receiver for the tight ends was Jack Doyle, where T.Y. Hilton had 109 receptions, Jack Doyle had 108. So I'm going to kind of take that back and kind of flip it to where, if anything, maybe Devonta Adams, uh, eh, I don't know, maybe it's like split up Devonta Adams 70-something, Randall Cobb, Gmo, and then Jimmy Graham at least 100 targets. Do you think he gets... Under over 100 targets for Jimmy Graham this year. I say over. Because, I mean, with Philbin last year with Jack Doyle, Mm -hmm. Jack Doyle had 108. Yeah, I would say over 100 targets for Jimmy Graham. Because, once again, Mm -hmm. he's my number one receiving option Mm -hmm. that I have right now. And if you want to look at Adams, if you want to look at Cobb, I'm pulling it up right now just because I'm curious uh, of their targets last year. Um, I'm imagining that... They were guys who were, let's see, targets 117 for Adams. Randall Cobb got himself a nice 91. So I think like those to guys throw the ball. Yep, they like to throw the ball. Those guys might come down mm-hmm. a little bit, but Jimmy Graham, I think he's going to go back to those Saints days. Last two guys I want to mention to close out this show is basically Kyle Rudolph, Delaney Walker. They were a tie for us at six and seven. We decided to put Kyle Rudolph just above Delaney Walker. Here's what I'm thinking. I'll take Kyle Rudolph. You kind of start off with Delaney Walker. Okay. Here's the thing with Kyle Rudolph and why I had Delaney Walker ahead of him. Delaney Walker's the main tight end in Tennessee. Marcus Mariota, Delaney Walker, we've seen that connection. It's a solid connection. Marcus Mariota really has trust in his tight end. Kyle Rudolph. Yes, Kirk Cousins comes in. Yes, Kirk Cousins did like throwing to Jordan Reed. However, this team has weapons for days. We have Stefan Diggs. We have Thielen, the Thielen, or as Sean likes to say, hooked on a Thielen. We also have the running backs like Dalvin Cook coming back. I wonder if Kyle Rudolph, and the reason why I have him out of my top five is basically, or why I have him at nine basically, is I wonder if, yes, he'll be a, if you have him as your starting tight end, 
He'll do good things for you. But I wonder if, yeah, he's got a better quarterback, but that quarterback has so many quality weapons to use that he's not just going to single in on Kyle Rudolph every single play. So that's why I have Kyle Rudolph lower and Delaney Walker higher because the usage might be a little bit more for a Delaney Walker with not having as many weapons in Tennessee as the Vikings have in Minnesota. Yeah, I definitely think that Tennessee is kind of uh, an interesting one to think about. You know, this team with Marcus Mariota, they're a better rushing team than they are a passing team in recent years, and the defense has just kind of been okay. They're a very middle-of-the-road type of team. Delaney Walker's a solid option for Marcus Mariota. He does trust him. He does rely on him. But... Marcus Mariota's had some some big, significant injuries mm-hmm. in the past, and I'm concerned about whether or not that starts to slow him down. The team is not as good without him. You also have some new coaches that are going to change some things here, mm-hmm. hopefully for the better because offensively they were not that well coached last year. Kyle Rudolph, to me, it really comes down to, yes, I know there's more weapons, but the fact still is going to remain for me you have a guy who has a proven, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins has proven that he likes to throw two tight ends. That has to ride, mm-hmm. uh, raise up Kyle Rudolph's stock. So let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to cut you off and ask you this. So the Titans last year out of targets, Delaney Walker led the team with 111. No one's arguing that he's going to probably be the most targeted receiver in Tennessee again. For the Vikings, I'm going to give you – Three, four, uh, I'll give you three options because Jarek McKinnon's no longer there. I'll give you the four are the four guys you split up the targets. I'll tell you what they were last year. Adam Thielen had 142. Stefan Diggs had 95. Rudolph had 81. And then although it'll be Delvin Cook, last year it was McKinnon, obviously. Mm-hmm. McKinnon had 81. So with those four, Cook, Thielen, Diggs, Rudolph, how would you how would you expect the targets to be split up knowing that's what they were last year? Well, I think that it's I, I don't I understand your question, but I don't think it's really relevant because you're mm-hmm. looking at Case Keenum as a starting quarterback compared to Kirk well, Cousins. Then how do you you're think you're moving Cous- down the field a lot fast? Well, let then, me let me answer. Okay. You're moving down the field a lot faster, mm-hmm. a lot easier because mm-hmm. this is a guy who can sling it. Kirk hopefully, Cousins, hopefully, a lot easier. Yeah, he'll sling it where. Case Keenum, I don't think he even tried to sling it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you do have Dalvin Cook, who's coming back. So you have a great option running the ball, sure. But all of this is just going to open up your your receiving options, mm-hmm. obviously. So sure, Kyle Rudolph might not be getting 111 or 112, whatever it was that Delaney Walker got, but he will have great opportunities. He's going to have some very long receptions as well because, like I said, Suddenly, we're a team that's moving the ball forward. If you're Vikings, if you are the Vikings, he's a guy who will get a lot of touchdowns as well, a lot more touchdowns than Delaney Walker is going to get. And I think that's a significant addition as well. Then, are you expecting because different quarterbacks last year, Case Keenum, Mm -hmm. the main guy, and it shows I'm going to Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen's my number one. If I need a guy, I'm going to Thielen. Do you expect that to change them with, hey, it's Kirk Cousins to where. You know what? Everyone's going to get a fair share of receptions, but you know what? 
Kyle Rudolph was the guy he went well, to he, more. Yeah, I think he's going to be going to what he's comfortable with. When you're a new quarterback mm-hmm. going to a new team, you try and find something that feels familiar, something mm-hmm. that feels similar. And that's going to be, let me throw it to Jordan Reed, who is now Kyle Rudolph. That's going to be a thing. He's going to love having uh feeling. He's going to love having digs. He's going to love having a quality running back in mm-hmm. Delvin Cook. He's going to love all of that, and he's going to spread it around a little bit more. Without a doubt, if these guys both play 16 games, Delaney Walker gets more targets. Delaney Walker probably gets more receptions than Kyle Rudolph does. I just think that Kyle just Rudolph— the team and yeah, Marcus Mariota. The, the other options there, I just mm-hmm. think that Kyle Rudolph's going to do probably more than Delaney Walker is going to do with them. I— the thing, and maybe this is just me being me, but mm-hmm. I look at, like, I know this isn't a tight end, but it plays into Tennessee. Corey Davis, like, 65 targets last year. like yeah. really kind of under underperforming uh, for us. Do we, like, does he, like... And we were excited about him. I wonder, like, how many targets is he going to get this year? Like, mm-hmm. he was a guy they took really high in that first round to be a receiver, and but new coaching staff, they might try and be like, no, we can make it work. We mm-hmm. can correct this. We can have this happen. And the Titans, I'm interested also to see how Lafer brings in that kind of Ram style um, or that Ram kind of thing that he did with the L.A. Rams last year. Any guys you think in this top ten that we didn't mention that we should give some love to? Only thing I want to really add, of course, mm-hmm. uh, Greg Olson, I hope he comes back from injury just fine. But the thing I think is interesting with is uh, Rob Gronkowski because there's been a lot of just talk about him. Trade, injury, trade, retirement. Trade, injury, retirement, exactly. And now with uh, you know him and Tom Brady both being like, no, we don't need to come to OTAs. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. He's still my surefire number one. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. If I had the opportunity to draft him, I'm thrilled about it. But just part of me sits there and just kind of wonders – because sometimes people draft Rob Gronkowski really high, mm-hmm. and then he gets hurt. He doesn't play, and people kind of regret it. You know, is there a little bit of that for Gronkowski? Probably not. You're still going to be thrilled if you get him. He's still your number one. Mm-hmm. you got to go for him. Um, but, you know, a lot of things going on, a lot of talk with Rob Gronkowski. Here's the thing with Rob Gronkowski for me when it comes to fantasy. It's basically for me, don't feel like I need to get Rob Gronkowski as my main tight end. If you get any of these guys in the top 10, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine with one of them. Like, I'll be happy. One guy that I was going to bring up right here at the end, as you guys are looking at our logo for sure, is that Evan Ingram is, I expect, a bigger, an increase this year because of the Pat Shermer um, kind of hire and his influence on that offense now. Plus having Saquon on that team, having a run option for Having once. wide receivers actually healthy. Having wide receivers actually healthy as well. And, I mean, he's one guy I'm really excited to see what happens in New York because I kind of feel like he could be one of the biggest benefactors from the changes that are going on in New York. But this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below about all of our top tight ends, 1 through 30 for our fantasy football rankings. Also, let us know what you think about Pat's topic coming in, talking to little Chicago Bears with us. Are we overhyping them? Maybe so, but I'll let you guys be the judge of that. little housekeeping here at the end. Check out patreon.com backslash Mosevel podcast, especially if you want to be like Pat and join a podcast. Also, 
Go check out our store, that link down below in the description. Get yourself an MVP t-shirt. Mostvalopodcast.com is where you catch MVP each and every day. And last but not least, make sure to go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Give the Onside Kick a five-star rating and write a little review telling everyone why they should check it out. want to thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening. Mark and I will be back next week to go over our top defenses, all 32 defenses, more like the quarterback style, top 32 defenses in fantasy football. We will see you then, but as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.